The NBA Finals. Off to a riveting start. What a game. I know that the final score of 118 to 105 doesn't look exactly like it was a barn burner. But the way that Giannis came out, surprisingly springy. First play of the game. A dunk. Took DeAndre Ayton on the baseline. It's beautiful. A chase down block. Reminiscent of LeBron James in Game 7 of the 2016 Finals. The Greek freak looked fresh. What about Devin Booker? Opening up the first quarter, slicing and dicing, whether it was the pull-up jumpers, whether it was kicking out to the corner, whether it was finding DeAndre Ayton on those lobs. And then the third quarter, Chris Paul going off for 16, 6-7 from the field. Didn't matter what happened. Who was defending him? It was mostly the Bucks when they switched out their big men. Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, didn't stand a chance. We'll get into that. We're going to get into all of Game 1 and the rest of this series. Here on Keep It at 94. Brought to you by the BasketballNews.com Podcast Network. Spencer Davies here. Brian Fritz in rainy, rainy Florida. But man, I had a lot of fun watching that first game. Um, lots to take away, I think. Um, but surprisingly to me, I think the Bucks actually played a decent game. Uh, you know, especially making those adjustments in the defense in the second half. Uh, but it, it goes back again for Milwaukee when I watched this team to trust their offense, and they did not. It felt like a very formulaic win from what we've seen from the Suns all season. Their big three when it comes to Booker, Paul, and Aiton, all stepped up, all had really good games. If you look at the final stats, they're very close to one another between the two teams. The biggest difference, though, was the free throw line, where you know the Suns dominated the Bucks there, not only in attempts, but also free throws made. You know, they missed one free throw the entire game. So, but it was one of those games, too, where the Suns led from beginning to end, and I never really felt like they were not in control. It wasn't that the Bucks played a horrible game and it wasn't like the Suns played a dominating game, but the Suns just felt like this is how we do it. We're in control the entire game. Even when that game got within the Bucks got hot in the fourth quarter and got it down to seven and there was still plenty of time left in the game, but I still never really got a sense that the Suns had lost control. I felt like they had this game in hand They immediately hit a couple of big shots and they bulked it back up to a double-digit lead and they kept it that way all the way to the final buzzer. And that's just what the Suns do sometimes. They don't necessarily need a guy to have like a really monster game, even though CP3 did have, you know, uh, I mean, he was in total control of that game and, you know, put up 16 in in the third quarter. But it it was just one of those kind of, we've got you, man. We're going to you know, kind of wear you down. We're going to do our thing. And next thing you know, you're going to look up and you're down by 12 or 14 points. And we're just going to keep a grip on that and uh, take it to the end. And that that's what the Suns did. I mean, they're just, they're so good at that. You know, they, they didn't turn the ball over a lot. Um, they kind of picked apart the Bucks 
like you said, you know, especially in the first half where they could see the different matchups and they just went with that. And they're so confident what they're doing. They figure things out very quickly. And I think a lot of that credit goes to Monty and it goes to Chris. It does. And when, when I look at the Suns, they had diagonal drives all night long, no matter who was out there. And it was, again, usually it was a big because they switched on all these pick and rolls. But they were getting to the rim at will, especially Devin Booker in that opening quarter. Um, well, I think that's got to be one know, of like, the problems. I think the Bucks have got to look at that going, wait a second. We've got to dominate the paint a lot more. And, I mean, the points in the paint between the two teams is very close. Well, the, actually, it's funny you mentioned that because in his press conference last night, Chris Middleton was saying the most disappointing part of the game was the free throw discrepancy. And to take the Suns' uh, performance by getting to the rim uh, kind of as a blueprint for them to do next game. Because, once again, uh, you know, it feels like wash, rinse, repeat at this point, man. Um, anytime the Bucks go in a lull, it's because they're not passing the ball. It's because they're not, again, trusting their offense. I saw so many random pull-up jumpers again and again. Uh, Drew Holiday specifically. Drew Holiday had a really rough game. Um, there is definitely something to uh, keep an eye on as far as Drew Holiday when Giannis is on the floor versus when he's not. Uh, I, I think offensively he feels a little bit more pressed to make plays than to be aggressive. He had more field goal attempts, but a lot of, a lot of missed layups for this team. Um, a lot of one and done again, or none and done, uh, where they try to get it all back themselves. Now it's funny because Chris Middleton, even though the, the, the offensive execution wasn't great, Chris Middleton got going in the second half at 17 points of his 29 total. And most of those were just contested pull-ups, uh, threes, whatever it might have been. So that was just a, a an impressive individual run that he made in that second half. But Drew, not getting to the line nearly enough. Between Middleton and Holiday, they shot two free throws. Um, that's not good. That's not good. And and here's here's I'll also say this: Middleton did get squeezed on a couple of calls. Um, that, that did not go his way. He did get bumped on some drives getting into that middle area where he loves to go. Uh, and some of it was, you know, trying to get into, uh, that painted area, but he had zero free throw attempts. Holiday had one trip to the line. If it wasn't for Giannis who had 12, he went seven to 12 from the line, better than usually, uh, the bucks would have had four free throw attempts. And I, I know the Suns' defense is really good. And when I tell you, man, Mikel Bridges and Jay Crowder, after I get, you know, we get through this uh, portion of, of breaking down the game, man, did they make an impact. But with Middleton and Holiday, if you're not putting pressure on the rim, you get predictable. You have long defenders on Phoenix that are going to make your life a living hell. You got to strategize, you got to do better than that. And you got to really put the ball on the floor and attack. I think there's a lot of different things to look at, you know, and so let's start with this because I could talk about holiday and his performance when it comes to Middleton. Typically he struggles in game one and obviously he did not in this game one. Um, we could talk about defensive scheme. Let's talk about Giannis though, 
So leading up to the game, there was all the talk about whether he was going to play, whether he wasn't. Uh, There's a lot of talk about like, he's just going through therapy 24 seven to get himself ready for this. And then during the day, he went from doubtful to questionable. And then you're like, all right, he's going to play. Once you go from doubtful to questionable, you feel pretty good. He's going to play, even though it's still kind of a game time decision. So he that plays quick. It did. It <laughs> happened quick, which means that he went out there and he warmed up and he felt good. And they were like, all right, he's good to go. So he puts up a 20 and 17. And, you know, when you, when you look at it on paper, you're like, that's a pretty darn good game. But I expect more from Giannis. And I, I think in the second half, he really looked a little off. And I, I think that's when that, the adrenaline wears off. I think the adrenaline wear off. I think he wasn't as springy. I didn't think he moved as well. Um, and like, so I think everything was going really good in the first half, but you could see, and, and some of it might be a little bit of conditioning as well, you know, but I mean, I think that's, that's, he really slowed down. It's like, I say really, but I mean, he was a step or two off from what he was in the first half. And that's when they really needed him. Um, now, mind you, I'll still take Giannis out there even like that because the dude's just such a freaking nature and so good. Um, and, and, and quite honestly, <laughs> I was really waiting for the response from uh, many of the uh, blabbermouse, a.k.a. talking heads going, are the Bucks better without Giannis? Um, but uh, luckily, I haven't seen a lot of that. I'm waiting for it. Um, and, and they're not, you know. But, I mean, it's good to have Giannis out there. Um, I just think that, obviously, they need a little bit more from him. And regardless, if they get more from him or not, Drew Holiday has to do a lot more. I mean, he's supposed to be the missing piece for this team. And he stepped up huge in that Hawks series. But it's frustrating to see him come out and not have a good game one. Again, I I think that has a lot to do with Giannis just – especially game planning without Giannis. They won't admit that, um, but he was clearly looking to be a playmaker first. Um, You know, taking some uh, inexplicable shots as far as just early in the shot clock with no actions going on. Um, He had one in the first quarter where he took it down to the elbow. He was posting someone up, it looked like, and then turned around and shot the ball, and there was like 16 seconds left in the shot clock. I was like, that was not a good shot. That's not a good shot, Drew. Um, I and think, I think he'll pick that up. I think he'll pick that up too. Um, but I, I, I felt I, like anytime that Giannis took a three, except for the one that he made was bad. I was just like, no, 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 no. I, I know that you're still hurting or whatever, but it's like, don't, don't do it. Luckily he only took two, but I, I was really worried he was going to start really like launching threes. Well, he, he actually tried some pull-ups too in the fourth, yeah. uh, that didn't go down. Usually those, you know, uh, you know, eight foot turnarounds, uh, when he mm-hmm. tries to get into, um, the, the paint, those can go down. Uh, but just the straight up pull-ups, um, not exactly a area of, of, of strength for him, but I wanted to get to this too, uh, for the bucks before we break down the suns. Brooke Lopez was effective offensively. Offensively, he was stretching the floor, nailed three triples, you know, did a good job of, of getting good looks. Whether, you know, it, they were generated the, the, the best ways or whatnot, uh, doesn't matter. He was getting good looks, and offensively, he was fine. Defensively, it was a bit of a struggle because he got put out on an island. He got, uh, you know... 
kind of just beat off the dribble multiple times. Well, they picked him apart, uh, and they 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 targeted him when it came to both CP3 and Booker. They targeted him, and the Bucks were switching on everything, and Brooke got left on an island. Well, the funny thing is, is that, that I'm seeing the discourse today, and they're like, should the Bucks, you know, drop more? It's like, well, if they drop more and they don't switch, they're still going to get those in-between jumpers. So what can you really do? Like, what more What more could have Brooke Lopez done? What more could have Bobby Portis done? I'm looking at that and saying, you tip your cap to those guys like CP3 and Devin Booker because they just know how to be patient and they know how to, you know, make reads so damn quickly. And, and so I... I don't really put that at the feet of a Brooke or a Bobby Portis. Now, coaching-wise, can you probably do something a little better? Can you put him a little bit more up? Maybe you trap, uh, you know, blitz, whatever you want to call it. Can you do that? Sure. I'm sure they're probably going to try something a little bit different. But I thought that Drew did a good job uh, in, in the fourth quarter especially. I think that when Giannis got put at the five, because Brooke Lopez pretty much only played the first three quarters. Uh, Bud went to Giannis at the five and then put Pat Connaughton in and Bryn Forbes, those guys, uh, in and you know gave him a little bit of a spark. But I thought that the fourth quarter, they looked a lot more physical. I thought they looked a lot more um, in their shirt. Um, it's hard to stay up on Chris Paul because Chris is going to do what Chris does. And, uh, you know, whether that's pinning you to his back uh, on a slow dribble you know, drive to to the rim, whether that's, you know, shooting a three and, you know, kicking his leg out, almost cost him and hurt him, uh, you know, with an ankle injury there um, against Brooke Lopez in the third. But he's going to do all of these tricks of the trade to get you to foul him. And that was another part of the, the, the Bucks defense that was really struggling was, you know, Booker and CP... Um, getting to the line a combined 14 times, or, uh, you know, getting to the line a combined seven times and going 14 of 14 perfect. Like, that's that's going to be the difficulty and that's going to have to be the focus going into game two is you're, you're not going to stop them. They're going to make their mid-range jumpers and they're going to make really nice plays. But how do you limit that enough? Because again, I thought the defense was actually okay after they made that adjustment in the in the fourth. It, m- it might have been a little too late, but I think that offensively is where you're looking with the Bucks again. Well, I think the natural thing to look at, like you said, is oh, well, Brooke Lopez got whooped out there, you know, by both CP3 and Booker on these switches, so they can't play him as much. Now, I think that he's got to play, and I mean he's because he does bring a different facet to the offense now. Does that mean that they can't play with some lineups and play a little bit smaller? Because obviously they did play smaller in that fourth quarter when they made a run. And I don't know if that's just something that a couple guys got hot or if that's something they want to look at. I don't know if you actually want your closing lineup to include Bryn Forbes. It's nothing against Bryn. It's just like, you know, he's a bench guy that you're putting in there because you were behind so much and you wanted a three-point shooter. So I think it's one of those things they have to look at a little bit. Maybe it's something like, when Brooke is out there, 
Uh, you know, you don't mind leaving Chris Paul a little bit more open for threes, but you don't want to leave Booker open. I mean, you have to kind of shake it up and maybe there's going to be times you trap. Maybe there's going to be times you drop. I mean, I think they've got to just kind of do different stuff. So you don't get into a regular rhythm. You don't know what they're going to do. So even if it takes like that extra second or two for CP3 or Booker to figure out like, oh, this is what they're doing this time around. You know, you just hope that you can get that shot clock down enough to where that can make a little bit of a difference because they have to think about it for an extra second. So I, I think there's things like that. But like like I said, I think there's this natural thing like, oh, well, that ain't going to work. I'm like, it, it's game one. It's game one. And it was still a pretty close game overall. There's going to be more adjustments that are made. The one adjustment that I do wonder about when it comes to Drew Holiday is because he can be so good defensively. Do you just sit there and say, that's it. We're going to have Drew on CP3. That's the matchup. We're going to live and die with it. Go out there and hawk this dude and just try to make him work. That's all. Drew, we're going to try to make him work on both ends of the court. We're going to run plays in the other end, too, because we want him moving around and Maybe that Drew can take advantage of his size against Chris Paul. Exactly. Let's not forget that. And if they want to switch Chris and put him on somebody else, then we'll take advantage of that matchup. Okay. But there's things like that you can do and just try to wear him down and hawk this dude. And I almost wonder if that's what they have to do when it comes to Drew. And honestly, just say, whenever Chris is in the game, Drew, you're in the game as well. That's it. I mean, the second Chris goes out, Drew, you get a break. Second he comes back in, you're on him. Like we're bringing you back, so you're on the match minutes train here. Th- 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 this is where it gets interesting, though, because I think that Chris Middleton Middleton can also be that guy that you can put on Chris Paul. Um, interchange those two, um, whether they're guarding Chris Paul or Devin Booker, honestly, because Booker is going to be a hassle to to guard as well. Um, it's a tough, it's a tough decision. The only difference is I, I want, I like it from a standpoint of Drew because, um. I think he's just one of those guys that can irritate you a little bit more. And I don't mind mm-hmm. Middleton being on sometimes because you like that, that difference of bringing the size, but also when it comes to holiday, because I just, I just feel like Middleton as good of a offensive player as he is, he's limited in his offense for himself. When it comes to holiday, he can do a variety of different things. And that's why you brought that dude in there is so that way he can run your offense and he can get some points and he can do a little bit of everything. And that's a little bit less you have Middleton worry about because Chris's whole thing is going to be, I'm going to catch and I'm going to shoot. That's what Chris Middleton yep. does, you know? Yep. So uh, I think a lot of the series is really, we, we sit there and we say Giannis obviously is the star of the Bucks, but I really think that a lot of the series is on the shoulders of Drew Holiday. Let's go to the Suns perspective because it sounds like we're, you know, Bucks fans or something, by the way, that they were talking about this game. So let's talk <laughs> about the fun stuff that the Suns did. Now, we've mentioned Chris Paul and Devin Booker looking the way they did. Again, dude, uh, when I was watching Book in that first quarter, I was just smiling from ear to ear. I mean, his decision-making, the quickness that he was making this decisions with, um, the, the, the playmaking ability, uh, you know, getting to the, the cup, uh, you know, doing all of these pull-ups. He didn't even have a great shooting night, um, but he was making such a difference. And even on the defensive end of the floor, I was just... I was. I don't want to say I'm floored because you know he's been he's been doing it all playoffs, but just at the rate and the sharpness that he was executing with in the first quarter, I was like, 
damn, this is awesome. Well, I think that's but, what has to be scary if you're a Bucks fan is that Booker played 42 minutes and why he put up 27 points. He only shot eight of 21 for the field. It was only one of eight from the three point line, but he got to the free throw line 10 times in all 10 of them. So, I mean, that's got to be scary to sit there and going, wait, this dude put up 27 points. You know, uh, he was plus 18 on plus minus, and he didn't really have a good shooting game. And he's not going to have too many of those, probably. Nope. Um, I mean, you can really go down the list by who was effective because it really was a team effort. Um, I love Aiden's game, though, man. I mean, we. Oh, my God. People want to talk about. I wanted to get to that. Chris Paul is the star, and everybody's going to talk about him. And I'm, you know, my mind immediately goes to, well, if the Suns win this, you know, Chris Paul's going to be MVP. But I'm looking at Aiden, and I'm like, I know that he has to have somebody deliver the ball to him, but at the same time, it's like what this guy did, and he's so efficient, and the chemistry he's developed with with Chris so quickly, it's incredible. Like, you put him, dude, you know that this is the first person since Tim Duncan to ever put up a 15 or 15 or better in their first game of the NBA Finals? That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, mean, I think he whooped them. I, I think with Aiton. And I'm going to do a plug here because, you know, from the very beginning of the playoffs, um, he's been showing this. And he did it against the Lakers. And Brian is well aware of this. Um, I talked to Cody Toppert. He is an assistant at Memphis and um, on Penny Hardaway's staff. Uh, But he used to be the director of player development with the Suns the year that they drafted DeAndre Ayton. And uh, he has played a hand in developing Devin Booker and had a hand with Mikel Bridges. Uh, so he knows these sons well. And I'm sure that Cody is extremely excited by what he's seen. But he gave me such good stuff uh, in this story that I did for basketballnews.com, probably about a month old now, uh, just about the development of the big man and how sometimes it takes a little longer than guards, right? So his quote that stuck out to me um, offensively is that, you know, it's consecutive effort. It's consecutive action. uh, It's screen angles. It's timing. Um, Defensively, just being in the right spot. Ultimately, it's the way... The way that Jeff Van Gundy said it on the broadcast was actually really good. I don't, I don't want to butcher the quote, but he mentioned how he was dominating with his simplicity. And I loved that quote because he's playing within himself, man. He's, he's doing the, the main three things. He's setting screens, he's grabbing boards, and he's finishing inside. Rim running. What, what else do you need him to do? He, he's going up, finishing lobs, um, anytime he gets an offensive board, he's going back up with it. He's got just this innate sense of floor awareness. And to go along with that, the touch to finish on these after screens or if he finds himself going on, you know, on a slip or something. He's just, ha- he, he's so good at controlling his body. He's got an imposing frame, is able to, you know, defend the way he does. He was so hungry for that basketball last night, man. He was all over the glass, all over the glass. Um, well, I mean, it's, so, it's, it's he's just, so sharp. He is just very sharp, and again, dominating with simplicity. That that I think is the 
uh, epitome of, of what he is. I just think it's very impressive that in this day and age where people won't always look at stats or touches or anything like that, that Aiton has come to learn, and I'm sure it's a lot of it's been because of Monty Williams in his ear and Chris Paul in his other ear, that you don't need to worry about that. Play to your strengths. What are your strengths? And he's accepted that. And guess what? When you play to your strengths, those numbers are going to be there. And more importantly, the wins are going to be there. Because, I mean, go out there and just the biggest thing for me that Aiton does, it's not just that he doesn't force anything. He's in the right place at the right time. And for a mm-hmm. big guy, that's like half of the game being in the right place at the right time. You know, I'm in the right place to get this lob. I'm in the right place to catch the ball on the roll. I'm in the right place to get this rebound. That That's what Aiton has realized. He's in the right place at the right time. And then you add to that the hustle. Because how many times did we even see it last night? We see in the playoffs where he's gone out of his way to tap a ball, to keep it alive, to go and, and, and grab a loose ball. And, yeah, the ball's going out of bounds, and he goes and hustle out hustles three other people that are near it to yeah, go get it. Absolutely, yep. he's done so many of those little things. But he, you know, the the control he has of his body when he goes to the rim, he's got great hands where he's catching the ball. You know, and um, just how efficient he is. I mean. What, he's got to be shooting, what is it, like 75 78% from the field in the playoffs? It's something ridiculous. It's, it's, it was over 71 going into this, but so I mean, I'm sure that bu- that busted up a bit. I mean, but he was 8 of 10 in yeah. game one. I mean, mm-hmm. that's all he needed. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. Plus, he hits all his free throws. You know, he puts up a 22 and 19. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, just yep. the watch. It's hard not to game, drool over it. His game. I mean, as much as we see it kind of improve as the regular season went on, but how much it's flourished in the playoffs. And I think the other big thing about him, too, is in this day and age where we talk about can a big guy stay on the court, especially in the playoffs where there's so many different matchups and everything can be micromanaged and, okay, we're going to find a way to get your big off the court because we're going to go small. The Suns have found a way to keep Aiton on the court. It's like he's our big, and guess what? We can still play him against anybody. You want to go small? Fine. We will find a way to keep Aiton on the court. And that's what he did in game one. He played 39 minutes. It was incredible. It was an incredible game by DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I did have to mention, uh, I'd say, three unsung heroes of this game. Uh, first, I probably got to say Mikel Bridges. Um, you know, came out of the gate uh, real, real confident and uh, slashing to the hoop doing such good things in transition, but defensively really just making it tough on guys like Middleton and 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 Holiday. Just he's so underrated with his length. Um I guess you couldn't call him underrated anymore. I mean he is on an NBA finals contender that's three games away from winning a championship. <laughs> but I, I feel like he doesn't have the sexiest stats. He doesn't have like this superstar, you know, aura about him. But Mikel is so high IQ, has been a part of a moment like this, obviously being at Villanova with Jay Wright. His just, his presence and his smarts about what shots he takes, what, you know, uh, 
reads he makes. Just, I feel like he thinks the game so well, and I think that he recognizes things very well. And uh, he is such a huge glue guy for them. Uh, you know, kind of equally off the bench, I look at the energy that Cam Johnson brought to this game, especially in the second quarter. My goodness. It's flying all over the damn place, Brian. Like, uh, you know, in transition and, you know, just ripping guys. And uh, remember, this is a game he's coming off of food poisoning uh, that he missed uh, their their last game in the Western Conference Finals. But I think that Cam Johnson, his energy, and, and honestly, it's been very, very consistent throughout the postseason uh, off this bench, and they're going to need it because uh, – we just found out that Dario Saric uh, tore his ACL, unfortunately. Yeah, I was going to bring uh, that so, up, which it looked bad at the time, and I don't know how much he was going to play. And he's not the biggest factor, and you don't like to he would have played ten minutes a night. He would have played ten minutes, you know. Yeah. And I mean, you like see anybody getting injured. I mean, they went out. I there feel and, terrible for him. Yeah, you put Frank the Tank out there for a few minutes, and like, ah, maybe we're going to go small. <laughs> <laughs> yep, they'll probably rely on you know guys like. Tory Craig and Cam Johnson to do that. They, I, we might I, even see yeah. a little bit of Abdul Nader too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I think Tory Craig will probably get some minutes there. Yeah. Uh, last guy and probably the ugliest stat sheet night that there could be. <laughs> I know where you're going to go. But he had the highest plus minus. And I know that plus minus can be very, very misleading. However, watch the damn game. Jay Crowder. Somebody that was just using his upper body to get into Giannis's grill to execute these steal slash blocks. I know it only says that there's one uh, block and then zero steals, but he had strips on Middleton. Um, he was huge on the on the defensive glass, uh, securing the ball. Uh, made some really nice passes. I recall one where he was. Uh, on the right side, right corner, uh, and he did this one-handed um, bounce pass uh, to somebody on the baseline, but it allowed for that person on the baseline to find someone who was cutting and, and got an easy hoop. Uh, he looked awful from three. Like, he wasn't coming close on any of these. He he was left of the, the rim where it hit the backboard. He airballed one. It was an ugly offensive game. But at the same time, he made a big difference. And I think that you're not going to get another O of 8 from him in this series. He might have another ugly game or two. But it's it's his, like, what's another word for presence? His uh, his aura. He, he was all over. His fingerprints were all over that game. Fingerprints. That's a good one. Yeah, he, he made a huge difference. And people will see the one point. And it's ironic that his last free throw is what kept them from being perfect uh, and having the best free throw percentage in an NBA Finals game history. <laughs> um, but he was huge. He was huge, and uh, I was I was watching that game intently um, and, and seeing how he was affecting the game outside of shooting. Let me ask you this: When it came to the game, what did you think of the officiating game one? Because I. I know you said earlier that you thought the Bucks probably got shorthanded in a couple calls, but I felt like the officiating was a little bit 
uneven when it came to some of the physicality. It was one of those things where I think the refs were trying to figure it out, like, all right, we're going to let this. Okay, but we're not going to let this. And it just kind of felt like, okay, we're going to start letting this. No, you know, and they were trying to figure it out for themselves. I was like, you got to let some of this go. There was some post stuff where I thought Giannis and, and Crowder were pushing on each other. And there was one in particular where Giannis got called for um, an offensive foul. And I was sitting going, no. I mean, if you look back at it, like he was getting pushed just as hard, if not harder, when he first went to the post. And then when he comes back and he, you know, drops a shoulder and, you know, defender falls down, like Giannis is getting called for an offensive foul. And I just felt like some of the physicality in this game was not officiated on the same level throughout. And I mean, that's fine if you want to let stuff go or you don't want to let it go, but it's got to be the same from the opening tip through the entire game. We need some consistency. I think from Middleton's perspective, he could have gotten to the line at least three, four times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do recall seeing the stuff with Giannis, but I, truthfully, man, I I saw a lot of clean strips. I saw a lot of other work, you know, yeah. clean deflections. Like, Mikel and Jay were in their grills all night long. Yes. Like, and they've got it, great it, hands. It was too. impressive. Like, you, it was impressive. You can't leave the ball low. No. Like and we saw that. We saw that when uh, Drew Holiday went into the middle of the paint. I think it was the fourth quarter, and yep. it was getting down to a single digits game. Uh, Drew Holiday pump faked a three on the left uh, elbow and took it inside, wanted to pass out, but couldn't make a decision. He kept the ball a little too low. And boom, got ripped from his hands. I think it was by CP3. And uh, it, it's one of those things where you have to be aware of those things. Even when you get offensive rebounds, keep it high. You know, like, keep it high. Uh, and then that way they're going to have to foul you. Or if anything, they're going to just miss. Um, and, and not to take a dig at Chris, but, like, that's the only way Chris is going to be able to defend you really well is Chris is going to go for the ball and try to strip you because he's not going to be able to keep up with you. He's going to do, like, these little veteran things, you know, and that includes he's going to – if you take the ball a little bit low, he's going to strip it. Sometimes he's going to let you get by you uh, by him because he's going to try to poke the ball from behind. And that that's what that's Chris's defensive mentality is at the stage of his career. It is. It is. And I, I think another telling aspect of this game, uh, particularly in the first half, I think the Bucks did a better job in the second half uh, of containing transition. But I think in the first half, uh, Phoenix was just ripping at them uh, in transition, just getting up and down. And, and I think a lot of that results uh, come from uh, Bucks quick shots, so you get rebounds and you're off, right? Or uh, you know the Bucks not taking care of the basketball, uh, and then boom, they're they're off to the races. So transition is another area, I think. What do you think is going to be the biggest adjustment from game one to game two for the Bucks? Or do they even I make think a something? Big adjustment? Si- I th- I think something similar to what they did with Trey. Remember when they lost game one? In the East Finals, they they put they they put their their bigs a little higher, um, getting ready for the switch quicker uh, on those pick and rolls uh, instead of like letting it happen right away. Um, I think that you'll see a little bit more Giannis at the five. Um, Pat Connaughton and, and Bryn Forbes are going to get those, you know, those minutes and stuff. Um, but honestly, the adjustment should be to just 
be more aggressive. Like that that's literally mm-hmm. what I saw. And I didn't think that I thought Milwaukee would get like blown out of the window in this game. Uh especially only have what two days of rest in between when they played last Saturday. Yeah. So that I was actually a little bit I, I came away a little bit more like, oh wow, they might be able to make this a series. Cause I had the Suns at five. And you know, you know how I talked about the Suns, um, you know, since they've been starting this playoffs. I'm like, man, it's feeling more like fate. It's 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 feeling more like something that's just kind of written, you know, like the way that the 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 season's going for them, the the way that Chris Paul has bounced back uh, from being that, uh, you, you know, that injured in the the Lakers series, and then coming back and looking like CP3. Um, it, it, and it feels like it's been forever since the postseason started, by the way. But, like, it, it's just one of those things where, where I think it's fate. So when I look at it and I look at what, what the Bucks did on the road uh, in a tough environment, you know, played some decent defense there in the second second half. Uh, you can't help it when, you know, CP and, and Book closed the way they did. But I just think it comes again, and I sound like a broken record, and we've – We've been over this over and over and over and over again with the Bucks. It's just about trusting the pass, man. It's about trusting the pass. And I'm not talking about giving, doing a pass to get an assist. I'm talking about swinging that thing. Get guys off balance. Shift the defense a little bit. I thought Giannis did a really good job of that, actually. When he got uh, catches inside of the paint, I thought he had some really nice passes. Drew was you know, really uh, generous as well. But I just think that sharing the basketball, man, you know, don't don't always take the first open look you get, especially uh, when Suns are better than most at closing out and at reacting. So that's, that's my biggest piece of advice. Yeah. I, I think it's just a lot of little tweaks. Like you said, I, I think... I don't think... I don't think Bud showed up badly in this game, honestly. No, because I mean, he did make some adjustments in the second half. I, I, I do think some of it is just an effort thing. It, it is you know moving the ball a little bit better. Um, I, I think it's just going to be little things around the edges. I think maybe a few less minutes for you know Brooke and Giannis a little bit more at the middle. But I don't think it's going to be like any kind of major change or anything like that. It's it's just little tweaks because, like I said. You look at this game on a whole, and when you look at the box score, it was a very close game. They shot about the same percentage. They rebounded about the same. All those different things. There wasn't a lot of turnovers in the game as well, but it's just stuff around the fringes, and part of it is being a little bit more aggressive because they can get to the free throw line more as well. That that That's going to be a part of it, um, and I, I think probably the other part I would say is I think the Bucks have got to get some more from that bench. I mean, in this game, they got 22 points on the bench. I think do they, not play Jeff Teague. Yeah, it's a big do it, not do not Jeff, play Jeff, Jeff Teague. Teague playing 10 minutes. That, well, okay, hey, that, hey, that, he, that, that's, he, that's a problem. He didn't play 10 minutes. He didn't play 10 minutes. It, yes, he did. It, he he played five minutes in the first half, <laughs> and then he got garbage time minutes after. Sure, okay, so okay, he okay, played more true. like okay. five to six. But still, if you, I I know that you want to get guys a break or whatever, but it's like. You're in the NBA Finals, man, and Jeff is not a guy you can be playing right now. They need to tighten it up probably to an eight-man rotation 
that means Forbes has to play a couple more minutes. And I know the defensive inefficiencies that come along with that. You're just going to have to suck it up. Second, uh, sorry, but I just want to say like second thing too, that, that I'm keeping my eye on. And, um, after we report, we record this podcast, we're doing this on a, um, early afternoon on a Wednesday before, uh, the guys talk and they're going to be talking, uh, after this is over, uh, is how Giannis responds, how that knee responds, Mm -hmm. um, to, uh, you know, the stress that he put on it and the uh, condition that it's in. Hopefully it doesn't swell. Hopefully he feels physically ready, mentally ready uh, to come back in in game two. But like you said, second half, it looked like the adrenaline wore off a little bit, and uh, he was a little little more tentative. Yeah. It, you know, and um, if they can get a better game from Drew Holiday and maybe a little bit better of a game from uh, Portis, he might have to play a few more minutes as well. That That's the whole thing is that like they're trying defensively. To get... The concern is where Portis lay, uh, lays yeah. against this team. Right. And the problem is too, it's just like, okay, if you do that, then I guess that means less minutes for Brooke because then you're playing Portis at the four, you know, where, where is it going in your rotation? So I, I, I think this is one of the problems that the Bucks have had to deal with. They've been able to overcome it because their starting lineup can be so good. But now in the playoffs, that bench is not that great. And I think it's it's showing a little bit more. I mean, you're always going to tighten up your rotation in, in the playoffs. Normally, it's going to go to an eight-man. Sometimes it'll even go to seven. But they, they've got to get higher production out of those guys that they have. Um, and that's going to be tough, especially on the defensive end of the court because – you know, Brent Forbes and Pat Connaughton and Bobby Portis are not exactly known for getting stops. Yes, yes. So, with that said, who are you taking in game two? I'm still going to take the Suns. I mean... I'm taking the Suns, too. I, I mean, I thought the Suns would win this series in six. You say five. Um, you know, I don't think it's going to be a clean sweep. I just think Phoenix... Has got too many little things. They're too smart. They've been on too much of a roll. And like, like you said before, they just feel like a team of destiny. They they have ever since they got past the Lakers, and especially in that second round when they got the sweep. At that point, it was just like, here we go. It's Phoenix's year. You could you could just kind of feel the the switch flip. I think so too. I think so too. So. Before the final started, and, you know, we'll just touch on a couple of different things that were said, uh, but Commissioner Adam Silver had his annual postseason press conference. Were you able to see any of the tidbits that came out of that? Uh, and uh, if, are there any particular uh, subjects that you would like to address from that press conference? I have the entire transcription here, actually. Oh, so. why don't you just read the entire thing from start to end? <laughs> Well, the press conference it, took and, and the press it, conference took voice. <laughs> the press conference took about forty minutes, so no, I don't think no. we're gonna do that. Oh, okay, you don't want to read it in double time. Uh, That's no. a little bit long. I mean, I guess the biggest <laughs> things were um, just kind of they're doing more research, I believe, when it comes to like the injury. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I will say this. Uh, just as a uh, you know a reaction to to the you know the way he talked about load management and stuff. It sounded like he wasn't exactly 
He's not buying. You know, it. blaming the season for the way that these things have gone. He was talking about how the injuries uh, over the past couple of years have piled up, even with guys getting rest. And, and you know who else isn't uh, isn't buying it either? Chris Paul. And you know he's not buying it from LeBron James because he doesn't <laughs> want to hear LeBron poo-poo the idea about injuries and Chris is saying, wait, this is my year, dude. Don't be talking smack and take it away from my year because I'm in the finals the first time ever and I might be winning a championship. So, you know what? Get off that banana boat if you're not going to be a part of this. You want to be my good buddy. Like, be happy for me, man, and stop, you know, talking smack about, oh, the injuries this year and, oh, it's hurt the playoffs so much. (laughs) Chris is sitting there going, hey, you know what? Go go promote your movie. Let me enjoy my moment, okay? (laughs) Right, right. And that's the president of the NBPA, Chris Paul, to everybody. So that's somebody who, you know, had the... You know, those things. And, and he did address that, like you said, um, uh, in his uh, finals availability yeah. on uh, Monday. So Chris Paul is is very much so on the, you know, the side of Adam Silver in this argument. Um, the other stuff that uh, he addressed, I think the uh, the play in tournament talking about how that is is um, he foresees that resuming. Uh, it obviously is going to take, uh, you know, the votes from the 30 teams Um and their their uh, owners, but uh, that's something that the you know the teams and the players association will have to come in agreement upon. Uh, there was the Raptors. They they asked about whether or not the uh, possibility of them returning to Toronto would be be uh, be feasible because of obviously the the difference in the way that Canada's handling uh, things in the the pandemic than than here in the states. Um, he made a lot of, you know, uh, comments as well, just how the NBA has to, you know, try to be independent of how, you know, certain governments are, are, are looking at things. Uh, but they also, you know, kind of want to be in, I guess, in line with how those things are working. Like he was asked about China, the relationship with China. Like mm-hmm. th- there is a lot of things that were addressed. Um, well, I'll feel bad for but, Toronto if they have to be stuck in Tampa. And then longer yeah. than they have to. And, um, and that sucks for a variety of reasons. I mean, but just not being home and being on the road and having to go through that, that would be awful. I mean, I totally get it. And I get all the precautions that Canada and especially Toronto want to do. Um, and we'll see where everything is uh, later on this year. But I, I hope that they can be at home. I really do. Uh, and when it comes to the playing tournament, I'm like, did anybody really think that was going to go away? I mean, I think that was pretty successful. And I mean, and I know there were some people, uh, some pretty big names in the NBA that were, you know, upset about it. And the reason why they were upset about it is because they were seven or eight seeds. Okay. That's why, you know, and it's just like, it's good for the NBA. I'm sorry. It's good. I, by the way, one there's of, ways to tweak it. Yeah. I, I also thought it was interesting that Adam said like, is an 82-game schedule really the best schedule? And I that was very interesting to me because that's something that I don't know how you can tweak that because of player salaries and everything that goes into that. And I don't know if that's something maybe because they could make more money in the you know, next TV deal and that could even it out or whatever. I've always thought that like a 72-game season would be better. It doesn't take too many games off. I mean, 10 games is, you know, an eighth of the season. 
But at the same time, it's not a massive difference, but it can mean a lot when it comes to kind of player health, getting rid of back-to-backs, spacing them out a little bit better, and just kind of taking better care of the, of the players. Like I said, I don't know if ownership will be on board with that because even if you said, oh, well, our TV contract, we're making more money, they'll be like, yeah, that's more money in my pocket. I'm not getting rid of those 82 games. And by the way, you know, if you have 10 less games, it's five less home games for me to sell concessions, you know, and things like that. So I don't know how that could get worked out. And I don't know how many games Adam would be looking at, but like if they wanted to cut games off the season, that would be very interesting to see. Cut games off the season. And then you look at that in season play in tournament or play tournament, whatever the hell they want to call it. Yeah. And then that, that you could see that happening because then you don't lose that, those concessions and the revenue that comes from those. And they're still, games but maybe they're just considered exhibition i i don't know how this in-season tournament would work what the incentive to win it would be um but i think that that could also play a factor in if they cut things down and you know can i throw out a weird idea oh boy here here he goes well when it comes to the in-season tournament I mean, obviously, there could be a financial reason to play in that. But, well, the problem is it's not something good for the players. It's something more for the teams. I was going to say, could you put something on there where it helps with the coin flip or draft status or something like that? But the problem is players don't give a rip about that. that that's more teams that are going to care about it. And players are like, man, he goes, I want to I rest my knee, okay? <laughs> because I got the second half of the season to go here. So what's in it? What's in it for me? I mean, the money is always nice, um, but outside of that, I, I don't know what other kind of thing they could put on it for a team where players would care. You know, I, I'm not sure. Yeah, no, not either. And that's his job to figure out. Yeah. Um, I, I was thinking that one through in real time, and I I shot down my own idea. <laughs> Whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, last topic that that I'll hit here, and then you know I'll throw out a couple news nuggets. But interested in this one because USA basketball starting off this week kicked off, and uh, you know me here in Cleveland, I've always got my eye on things that are going on. They've got Darius Garland over there on the select team, first one that he's made. Uh, he'll be talking on Friday evening. Looking forward to hearing from him. But Kevin Love, Kevin Love uh, talked to the media yesterday. I was I was a part of that. And interesting comments, I guess. Um, maybe they shouldn't be seen as interesting, and you know this is more obvious than anything. But uh, just publicly, I think a teeny bit interesting. Uh, talking about how participating in training camp in USA Today is really going to get him right, um, is going to keep him active and keep him healthy uh, after you know the seasons that he's had in Cleveland in the last two three years, been dealing with these injuries. It feels like Groundhog Day. It feels like you know this stuff has happened so often to him that. It, you know, you just kind of assume that, you know, he's done. I thought it was 
thought it was uh, definitely um, honest of him to admit that, you know, days of 35 minutes and 20 touches a night, those days are probably in his rearview mirror. Uh, He is entering his 14th uh, season. So I'm, I'm curious here because he spoke very highly of Bam Adebayo, said that his jersey is in his locker. Uh, that he likes the way he plays so much. He spoke uh, very well of Kevin Durant, and those two are going to be extremely close in Las Vegas as they prepare here. Are you saying then there could the be lace, some recruiting going on during the Olympics? <laughs> We've never seen that before. Uh, I saw Greg Popovich the, talk about like I don't care if anybody wants to make a super team. I have, I'm not. I don't care about that. I want no part of that. Whatever they want to talk about, that's their business, and I'm, I'm not getting involved. I'm here to coach him. He did say that he's going to work Kevin's ass off though, and I love that. I, I just want to see <laughs> how because Kevin, Kevin, since the end of the season has been working uh, tirelessly, and you can see the, you know, the the clips and stuff that are out there. It's like just because I'm I'm in Cleveland doesn't mean that like I don't want to see the guy succeed, you know. Like, um, I, I think that he's got plenty to offer, just at a a little bit of a reduced role, and hopefully for him to stay healthy, you know. Do you think so, he could have a role like Blake Griffin? Well, that's the that's the thing that I was going to get to because those are, you know, obviously some buyout well, candidate it, situations, and then the, 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 the third part, the third yeah. part, real quick. Uh, that came out uh, recently as well from the San Francisco Chronicle is that the Warriors are reportedly flirting with the idea of pursuing love, which would absolutely break the hearts of everyone here in the land. But uh, well, the New York Post. So, also, so there's three. Yeah, there's three. Uh, the, well, the Post also had a story that said, well, if uh, Kevin Love agrees to a buyout, then uh, the Brooklyn Nets could be very interested in him too. And I think there's going to be a handful of teams that will be interested in Kevin Love if he negotiates a buyout. Because he has two years and about sixty million dollars left on his deal, uh, and I—I I mean, I, I think it's great that he's very honest about like my days of being, you know, more or less an A-list star in the NBA are gone. But I still have something to contribute if he can stay healthy. And I, and I, I think there's a couple of things with that. It's not just you know his body, but I think it's his mind. And I think he needs to get out of Cleveland. Because I think that yes. situation has just, you know, it, it taken him down so many notches. He, he hasn't been able to deal with it. And I think he's been honest about that, too, because we've seen the screw-ups on the court, we, you know, and even off the court. Where, oh, yeah, we've talked about that. And and I think, yeah. too, that he mentioned uh, about Team USA is being around success is going to, you know, really propel his mind and, and get him in a right um, mentality. Uh, by just being around winners and right. being around this talent, uh, that can really refresh somebody. I don't think the Cavs have tried to move him. I don't see how that's going to get any easier over these last Unless he looks like a damn star right. in, in Tokyo. Well, unless he's if we have an a winning shot and you know takes home the gold for Team USA. Um, I'd be curious if they would really entertain the buyout. And then how much money would Kevin say, I will leave this on the table because Kevin doesn't seem like a guy that's infatuated with money. I mean, of course he'll take the money where he can get it, but he doesn't seem like that's going to be the end all be all. And I think for him, 
not just trying to be part of a winner, but, you know, getting himself straight and being able to play good basketball and uh, winning basketball, you know, and having an opportunity to win a championship, I think it's going to mean a lot to him. And I'd be curious to see if the Cavs seriously entertain a buyout, how much money would he be willing to leave on the table? And then what teams are going to pursue him? Because, I mean, hey, the Warriors will pursue him. The Nets will pursue him. I, you can't tell me the Lakers won't pursue him. Uh, the you know the Clippers will probably pursue Blazers. Him. Blazers will. Maybe the, the Sixers. I can maybe. see the Celtics. Maybe you know. I mean, there's the Heat. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be ten teams. There's going to you know or so. There's going to be contenders. They're going to say, I will take a flyer on Kevin Love, because the worst situation. I mean, and I mean, some of them might just be for minimum money. I mean, maybe it's going to be for like, you know, a little bit more than that. You know, but it's probably going to be for minimum money. And um, I think Kevin's already wrapped his mind around the idea. Like I'm, I'm probably not even going to be a starter wherever I go. If something like this happens. So um, there's going to be a lot of teams. that will say, I'll try it. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just let them go. Right. Right. And another thing too is, uh, you know, what I've been told at least uh, is that the Cavs are already in this mindset that, you know, Love's going to be capped off at probably around, like, 25 minutes. He's probably going to, you know, not get quite as many, um, you know, looks as he gets. They're, you know, they're going to really use his, his his floor spacing ability. The way he rebounds defensively is elite. Um, but where do you like, see being around the Cavs? They've talked about this before. They haven't really entertained it. But do you think something will change this offseason where they really will think about a buyout I think they can I think they can look at it um I think that they also understand that they need a veteran presence but this is also going to come you know after the draft when they get into free agency what kind of veteran they get um what kind of number do you think would have to be for the Cavs to say okay we'll let you walk well what was Blake's number did he leave like 13 Something like that. Well, I mean, something. So, something like, Love there. makes thirty-one this coming year, and then twenty-eight the following. Because I know that I know that the organization really values his, you know, off-court leadership. Um, I think he's got to leave twenty. That's a lot because they're gonna they're gonna look at this as like, okay, why are we gonna you know pay this guy to be somewhere else when we can still use his skill set? And maybe he's someone that makes a big difference and can stay healthy. That's why I think it's got to be a big number because there's nothing acrimonious between the two sides. I don't think between ownership and the player, but at the same time, you know, you, we could talk about them needing a veteran leadership, you know, leader and all these different things, but they know. And opening up playing time for someone yeah. else. Like if, if they went, if they went out and drafted say like an Evan Mobley, then the buyout's probably more likely to happen than not, right? Like, that's just obvious. That's not like a report. That's like this. You look at it and you look at how many, you know, cooks in the kitchen there, especially if they go back and re-sign Isaiah Hartenstein. You've got Dean Wade, who came, kind of broke out a little bit uh, for the team last year. As many, uh, or as little bright spots as the team had, um, you know, really put put together some solid minutes and is, you know, a lot younger and someone who's been able to stay healthy. Like, so eventually that power forward position is going to be a little bit too many, too many people there. It's, so. it, I think it's going to be a big number, though. 
for them to say, we're going to let you walk. And, and Kevin might entertain it because he might yeah. just say, you know what? It's, it's worth I would it be very me. surprised if they found a trade for him. Yeah, exactly. I, I just don't see that. I mean, the only, well, they couldn't even do it with that uh, trade exception that the Celtics have because their trade exception isn't big enough to take the, take him in. Um, but I, I don't see a trade partner and I can't imagine a team doing that because there would have to be like a really, really awful contract. <laughs> the Cavs have to take on for that. So I think it's okay. Let's really have this conversation. And, um, how, you know, how much money are you willing to leave? How bad do you want out of here? And it, exactly. Like I said, I don't think it necessarily has to be anything nasty. It just says it's time to go. It's just time, you know, and you know, the team's always going to want to be like, well, you want to go to win a championship? Fine, but you you better give us a good reason to let you go. True that. True that. Uh, just a couple of news nuggets here before we get out. Uh, Mighty Mouse, Damian Stoudemire, uh, accept an assistant coach job with the Celtics after coaching at Pacific. So congrats to Mighty Mouse. That's someone I remember playing, uh, watching growing up play. Um Wizards adding uh, another candidate for their head coaching job. It's Suns assistant Kevin Young. So now Jamal Mosley, Darvin Ham, Wes Unseld Jr., Charles Lee, and Chris Quinn uh, are all in that uh, mix for the Wizards job. Uh, we still haven't gotten one for Orlando yet. I know that you're paying attention to that. You know it. How about uh, Scott so- Brooks interviewing for an assistant job with the Lakers? How about it? How about it? Uh, I thought can't that was- beat him, join him, right? thought that was kind of interesting. <laughs> I mean, good for Scott. I mean, he just wants to stay in the league and he wants to stay coaching. Yeah, good for Scott. Good for Scott. He wants to follow the brick road, right? Go, go, like, get, go get some, some titles. Somebody's got to be over here for you. Know, Jason Kidd's not going to be here to try to get the coaching job, you know, when they don't give a Vogel an extension. Might as well be me. <laughs> I can't wait to see Scott Brooks coaching the Lakers in two years. <laughs> Oh, it's happening. Don't, do not break my heart, man. It's happening. It's happening. Oh, Lord. Okay. I thought that was going to be Fizdale. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. Fizz did join the squad. He did. But he took less money to join the squad, too, because he wanted to be with with LeBron again because they have a good relationship. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Going back to Miami. I remember watching them there. LeBron, if I come over here. And they don't sign Vogel. You'll put in a good word for me to get the coaching job, right? Okay, I'll take less money to the other place. No problem. <laughs> you get my back, right, Rick King? Yeah? Okay. Negotiations. Negotiation <laughs> tactics by take that for data. Take that for data. All right, Brian. I think that uh, we can go ahead and get out of here. Uh, good talk about game one and uh, what's to come here in the NBA Finals. Game two, going to tip off at 9 p.m. Eastern time from Phoenix Suns Arena on Thursday night. Once again, keep it at 94, brought to you by basketballnews.com podcast network. Got 10 other great ones for you to listen to. Not limited to the Rex Chapman Show, Nate and Unfiltered, The Posecast, Dishes and Dimes, The Rematch, The Dunker Spot, The Alex Kennedy Podcast, The Sheridan Show, The Follow Through with Clips and Drew, and NBA Top Shot Weekly with Alex Kennedy and Oliver Maroney. You can find me on Twitter at Spin Davies. 
can find Brian on Twitter at Brian Fritz. You can find me on Instagram at, at Spin Davies. And you can find Brian on Instagram at It's Brian Fritz. It's a good show. It's a good show. Uh, can't wait to see where this series sets after, um, you know, the beginning of next week. So uh, we'll be at least three games in, maybe four, by the next time we record. But in the meantime, everybody stay safe, stay safe, stay healthy. Uh, continue uh, enjoying the NBA Finals. Uh, we're going to be getting into draft season and summertime, which means free agency is right around the corner, and so is the NBA draft. So make sure to stay tuned to basketballnews.com. We got you covered there. Matt Babcock and his team have put together an amazing mock draft page for you. Every single prospect that you click on uh, in the first round and more, um, they've got profiles for you. And uh, where they're going, where the prospects are being selected, all that good stuff. And we've got plenty of profiles, some new ones that have come out over the last week, including on Moses Moody, Io DeSonmu, We've got Scotty Barnes, Corey Kispert. Know we're going to have uh, a big one on Trey Murphy coming up that uh, I will be doing. So definitely keep it locked to basketballnews.com for that. And, of course, our other interviews, great film breakdowns by Nikias Duncan and more. So, again, basketballnews.com. And this is it for Keep It at 94. We will see you next time. Mm-hmm.